0: Hello, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Welcome to our show for, from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports and I'm excited to do the show with you today, as I am every week. I have been working as a sports psychologist for a long time. The day after Labor Day will be the beginning of my 41st year of work. Began back in 1981 and... Uh, It's been a fun journey. It's been a fun ride, and I've got a lot of years left to go with this. And 30 years on the radio, the last 20 here at Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Our shows are podcasted everywhere, all over. And, you know, I I enjoy doing this show because we talk about so many different things about how the mental side of sports plays a role in what we do. And if you listen to the show and if you listen to our podcast, you know I try to bring on guests. We're going to have one today and discuss different topics. And one of the things that I have been, I guess, passionate about would be the right terminology is the whole area of youth sports and sportsmanship and getting kids to be able to handle their emotions on the, on the court, on the, on the field, in the pool, wherever it might be. One of the things that I've noticed in my practice, and I work with young athletes all over the country, do telehealth, you know, with the the advent of telehealth now, I do a lot of work on the phone, FaceTime, Zoom with, with, with clients. And one of the things that, that I've noticed is there's a lot more pressure on younger and younger kids to succeed and be, be not just be good, but be great and the pressure to Win and the pressure to have to please their parents and not screw up. Because so many kids at younger younger ages now are playing a sport year-round, which, which, you know, and I'm just, this is my own personal opinion on this. I think until you're 12 or 13, and we talk about this in our book, Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Sports, co-written with Jeff Montgomery and Pete Malone that really kids should play a bunch of different sports and not just specialize in one thing until probably middle school. When they get to middle school, that's that's when a lot of kids start to get to the point, well, I want to play baseball, I want to play tennis, or I want to be a swimmer. But even, even up to that point, you know, there's been all kinds of articles written on so many great athletes. Roger Federer and Alex Morgan specifically talked about it in an article this past year how they didn't start playing tennis and soccer respectively until they were 14, 15 years of age. They played a bunch of different things. Back when I worked as the University of Kansas' first sports psychologist, back in the 80s, I remember a conversation I had with basketball coach Larry Brown, who I spent here working with. And Larry said to me, and this is back in 1983, he said, Andy, I think kids should play a team sport and an individual sport, and they should do both because you learn so many different things when you're in an individual sport. You learn about self-confidence. You learn about self-reflection, about handling things on your own. When you're in a team sport, you learn about sacrifice. You learn about confidence as well. You learn about communication. And there's so many different variables involved with both. And he even said, he goes, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't start playing one sport until you're probably in, in eighth, eighth grade. And that was back in 1983 when I had that conversation with him almost 40 years ago. So I think we're seeing today, and, and, and money plays a big role in this. You know, there's a lot of money in youth sports. I've talked about this forever. People make money on tournaments, on uniforms, on trophies, on, on everything. And so it gets very, very involved, and people want to advocate you know, playing this sport as much as you can year round because there's a lot of money in it. Well, we're going to talk about this today, and joining me today is Michael Seely, who is a psychotherapist. Michael's been on the show with us before, and now Michael, you are no longer in the Bay Area. Is that correct?
1: Good morning, Dr. Jacobs. That is correct. I am in Naples, Florida.
0: Lucky you. It's one of my favorite places yeah. to be. Why, why'd you move down? I, I can't. I, I don't need to question why you moved down there. It's awesome down there.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, it's like being on vacation all the time, so, you
0: know, why not? Uh, I agree. My fiancé and I were down there back in March, and uh, at some point I wouldn't mind living there myself. So thank you for joining me this morning. How have you been doing? I've
1: been doing well. Thank you.
0: So this topic that I'm bringing up, you know, you've been on with me a couple times before. We've talked about this. You sports the whole issue that, that you and I both deal with with kids. Do you think there's a lot lot more pressure on kids to be perfect now in in youth sports? Are you picking that up as well?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, you know what you're talking about, you know the money in youth sports, uh, a lot of you know parents are way you know over serious about it. Coaches are pushing athletes a little too hard. Yeah, there's a lot a lot of that going on.
0: So what are we going to do about it? I mean, I, I as you know, as therapists, you and I deal with the after effects, or the, I mean, the after effects, the, the constant effects of this stuff. And I have kids that come in all the time. I had a young lady who was a soccer player on, on a couple days ago in my office. She's a high school student, 4.5 GPA. Um, this weekend, she's doing two camps around the country, trying out, uh, you know, showcase camps for soccer. And, One's in Michigan and one is in Texas, and she's, she was in Michigan one day and Texas the next. Uh, is this getting a little ridiculous, you think, or, or what's your opinion on that?
1: Well, I think, the, you know, certainly the, the outside events, if you're putting a lot of pressure on the athlete, and there's a lot, you know, overscheduling, things like that can have a detrimental effect. But, you know, really what's important is the athletes and the, the coaches and the parents' belief about failure or their belief about sportsmanship or belief about competition. So you could have a, you know, one kid who's doing a lot of that and if the belief is that it's okay to fail from time to time, learn from your mistakes, um, it's the spirit of the competition that's, that's most important as opposed to me winning or my team winning. I think that's really the important thing if uh, you know, we can teach as coaches, psychologists, parents, etc., if we can teach the younger athletes that those higher levels, higher kind of beliefs that sports is about the spirit of competition, about um, sportsmanship and about growth and things like that, that can really take the pressure off of the, the youth athlete there.
0: Why do you think we've gotten to that point? Why have we gotten to the point where all those pressure is on kids like this?
1: Yeah, I I think unfortunately it's a lack of awareness. uh, Especially, I don't want to put all the blame on the coaches um, or the parents, but this lack of awareness about um, kind of transference—you know, psychological term—that transferring the coach's sort of desires onto his or her team. You know, if if my players, and I possess it, my players or my team loses that that I feel bad when it's more, you know, the focus is on the coach's ego or the parent's ego. The parent's, you know, know, like your classic Little League dad who didn't quite make it in Little League as a kid and then put it all on his own kid. Um, I think there's just some general uh, lack of awareness for, you know, among um, coaches especially and giving coaches maybe some courses in uh, sports psychology, honestly.
0: Well, I agree with you on that. And and, and last week my show – touched on this specific issue that i think coaches should have a practice every couple every two three weeks where they don't practice their sport they just have a a talk session and just talk about how you how are you doing how are you handling things in light of covid and the pressures and everything we're dealing with today i think something like that can be helpful to get kids to talk about what's going on and they can bring up topics like pressure and pr- perfection and things like that, winning and losing. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me this morning and psychotherapist Michael Seely. We're talking about youth sports. We're talking about the pressures on kids today to win and to be perfect and all that. And if you have a question, you have a comment, if you have a son or daughter, you're worried about how they're handling their pressures as playing sports, give us a call. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
2: This is the Sports Psychology Hour. State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt.
3: Our topic today, access to capital in communities of color, especially the African-American community. And now J.B. Morgan Chase has made a commitment of $30 billion to help bridge this wealth gap. But no matter how you cut it, no matter how you look at it, it appears it's a staggering challenge. There is still significant resistance, and I think sometimes people forget The role of African-Americans in our capitalist system was to actually be the capital, something that was bred and bartered. And that is a tough starting point to try to catch up and to have any parity in the 21st century.
2: For more, watch State of Play TV, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central, on the Black News Channel, or go to State of Play TV on
4: YouTube. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show him you love him. Keep him safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
5: America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
6: Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.
7: One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.
2: This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
0: Hello, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. We're on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB here in Kansas City. Our shows are podcasted throughout the country and replayed in a number of cities throughout the week. And joining me today is Michael Seely. He's a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, and as I said earlier, lucky him to be down there. Um, Michael, you know, we're, we're talking about perfectionism in, in youth sports now. And I'm seeing more and more kids, when when they come in, we start talking about different things. I'll I'll ask their parents. And the way I, I work with, with young kids or young athletes is I'll meet with the parents first in the first session. And then I'll bring in the uh, young athlete towards the second part of the session and the four of us or three of us depending on how many parents are there sit down talk about things and typically i get a lot of parents say you know my my daughter's a perfectionist she's got to do everything right and if she doesn't do it right she gets really upset at herself and then i'll ask this young athlete who have you ever met who's perfect and they they sort of stop and go well nobody and i go well then if nobody's perfect why are you trying to be that what that way and it's interesting the looks on their faces because a lot of them sort of smile and a lot of them sort of laugh oh yeah well i guess that doesn't make sense I mean, did, 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 does that click with you as well
1: yeah absolutely and um you know in my work with athletes i i listen to i listen to their talk about say if they describe a a victory or a failure especially a failure you look for words like always never sort of this uh Black and white kind of thinking that, um, you know, for example, you might have a say like a little league, um, little leaguer who's saying, you know, I always strike out or I never get a hit, and this, these are some telltale signs of perfectionism. And you know, the kid's getting it from somewhere. Aren't, uh, well, yeah, that important. was gonna
0: that, that was gonna be my question. Where do you think it comes from? Because I I, I know playing sports my whole life. I would always get ticked off if I would make a mistake or double faulted in tennis or struck out or missed a shot. But you keep playing,
1: right? Yeah. So it's coming from well your, your usual sources. So it could be could be parents, could be coaches, could be you know the media. It's it's part of the you know, the sports culture as well. And um, so, like I said, the kids aren't aren't born thinking that their you know, perfectionism is the way to go. They they learn it from somewhere and um it's really up to i think really the coaches to take a lead on that and um to start to tear apart perfectionism and, and get more into uh excellentism if you will something like that I know? like th-
0: i like that term excellentism yeah that that's a good one i haven't heard that before i may i may uh you might trademark that that's a good term well um, i
1: stole that from someone else
0: oh okay well well maybe yeah. they haven't trademarked it yet you can you can steal it yeah. um my producer, Blake Schneiders, is laughing over there on the other side of the glass listening to that. Um, you know, um, parents today, I, I I have contact with so many different parents. And, of course, they want their kids to succeed and be happy and enjoy what they're doing. And for a lot of them, you know, we'll talk about this whole idea of, of winning and per- perfectionism and all that. And for many of them, they'll sit there and say, look, I... Only want my kids to be happy, and and you know, so many kids will say to me they're afraid of letting their parents down because they screwed up or they made a mistake, and we'll have a meeting with the parents, and for many of the parents, they look at their kids sort of in a flabbergasting way, like, I've never said that to you. Why do you feel that way? Well, I'll see you on the sidelines when I make a mistake. You'll sort of, you know, frown or scowl or look down, shake your head. Then sometimes after a game, you'll you'll be up, you know, we'll talk and you seem upset at me because I made a mistake. So I think so much of this starts really with the parents. I think our in our book, our third chapter is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. And uh, several months ago, I I did a show about that. And Blake will remember the caller we had when I talked about, you know, losing. Blake, share with uh, Michael what that guy said. Blake likes to talk about this.
2: Well, the the caller decided to get on and basically thought that what, we were talking about here was teaching kids, uh, and and for kids out there, ear it real quick, but teaching kids, for lack of a better word, how to be and that's exactly the term that he used. And then he hopped off the phone real quick, because he didn't actually want to elaborate on the comment or have a real conversation about that, because that had nothing to do with what, what we were talking about. And as a former athlete, there's a difference between being okay with losing or, or you know, coddling children, and teaching them how to learn from a loss,
1: right? I mean, Michael, yeah.
0: how would you respond to that then?
1: Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's right on. So just because you are cognizant of you know teaching kids um, how to handle failure in the proper way doesn't mean that you're you know encouraging failure or encouraging not being excellent or or something like that. So I think there's this there's a sort of backlash against uh, recent developments in, in sports of, of you know, being more of an excellentist as, as opposed to a perfectionist. There's a backlash. Oh, you're teaching our kids how to be losers. And it's like, well, no, we're teaching kids how to handle adversity because there's no athlete or team who's, you know, ever won every single game or match. Or
0: whatever well, well what's the, what, do you remember the last uh, NFL team to have a perfect season?
1: Huh. <sighs> No, I don't think
0: so. Well, you you better because you're in Florida. It's the '73 Miami Dolphins, so you better remember oh. that one.
6: Okay, all right.
0: They were seventeen. Okay. They were seventeen and zero. So no NFL team has had a perfect season in terms of winning every game since then. So okay. this whole idea of perfectionism in youth sports, I want to expand on today, and and we'd love to hear from you if you are a parent or a coach, and you've had an athlete, your, your son or daughter, or someone you're coaching, who gets upset when they make a mistake. They they slam their glove down, they slam their bat, they scowl, they cry, they get upset. We love to hear from our Sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jake is my guest today, psychotherapist Michael Seely. We're talking about this topic. Michael's been on the show with me before. We've had some really interesting conversations. Wanted to have him back on again about this. And, and when you look at, you know, youth sports, the word fun should be the really, the priority. Let's go out and have some fun, play, learn skills, get better. But the importance of a record, the importance of winning and losing, the importance of, of winning a championship starts to take over, you know, at younger and younger ages now. And I, it's a concern for me because that's where I think a lot of kids burn out by the time they're 11 and 12. It used to be 13, 14. Now it's 11 and 12. I'm seeing a lot of kids sit t- t- tell me they don't want to play anymore. Are you getting that as well?
1: Yeah, I think um, the younger athletes are... I was saying the pressures too much, they don't want to play or they want to you know sit out the rest of the season and it gets back to that perfectionism that um, the fear of failure or the fear of any kind of loss or dealing with that failure is just too much, and they they just want to you know want to tap out. Um, that gets back to we need to teach kids and we meaning uh, coaches, psychologists, even parents that um, Failure is something that's just normal in life, and it's, it's okay when it happens. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Just really need to, to emphasize that, that more.
0: What's your definition of failure, Michael? Real quick, how would you define it?
1: Well, that's a good one. Put me on the spot here.
0: Why um, not? Why definition? not? That's why we're on yeah, the radio. Right. <laughs> right,
1: right. Yeah. So, definition of failure. Uh, gosh, um, I would say that it's um, you know giving up completely. Giving up completely would be, would be my definition. So, you know, if you, if you make a mistake in your sport, an error, or you fall down or whatever, it's, it's the not getting back up would be the failure. But then again, you know, I don't want to put pressure on athletes there, too, because there are athletes who quit for a time and come back. But um, I, I think that's basically it. Well, let's,
0: let's, let's expand on this after our break here, because I, I want to talk about that, because m- mine's a little bit different than yours, but we'll see what that is. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today, psychotherapist Michael Seeley. I'm the leader in sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
2: This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, state of play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt.
3: The status of black women in America. A lot of people say, well, why do you need to talk about it? You've got Kamala Harris, a heartbeat away from the presidency. You've got Stacey Abrams being considered for Nobel Peace Prize. But I think we all know that's not the real deal. African-Americans, and particularly women, were the vessels by which to keep this human capital going Uh, during slavery. Then you had uh, Jim Crow. And there's a sensitivity on the part of women generally, whatever the race, and then particularly African-American women, to raise the point of, why aren't you talking? talking about me. Why don't you have programs customized uh, to deal with my needs? And so I guess that explains why we're still struggling with it uh, in this year of 2021.
2: For more, watch State of Play Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central on the Black News Channel.
9: What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up.
3: Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go.
10: (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the US Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
4: Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration and the ad council.
6: Hey dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.
2: This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
0: Hello again, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Joining me today is psychotherapist Michael Seely down in Naples, Florida. And yeah, that's a good song. Thank you, Blake. Winning, losing, success, failure. What is it? We're talking about youth sports, perfectionism in youth sports. And before our break, we were discussing the topic failure. So Michael, expand a little more on on what you see failure being in sports.
1: Yeah. So thinking about failure, it's a tricky term, right? So because failure can be, you know, an opportunity along the way to, to actually level up and learn from mistakes, um, part of the process of success, if you will. Um, when I was, just before a break, I was talking about failure. You know, the ultimate failure would be, you know, giving up completely. Um, but that's, uh, again, it's a tricky word because there's always an opportunity in the failure to, to learn something from, from the mistake.
0: Yeah, my, my feeling about failure... When I when I talk with with young athletes, especially or, or professional, I just had an NFL player in my office a couple of days ago. We talked about this. What you know, he wants to be successful at everything he does, but you know he's he's going to make a mistake once in a while. It's part of the game. So it's how you how you handle that, overcome that, and and move on. I mean, when you're a professional athlete, you're in, or a college athlete for that matter, you're on TV. Everybody sees what you do, and if you make a mistake. Everybody notices it. Everyone expects you, especially especially at the professional level, to succeed so much of the time. So, how you handle failure is so important. I know. Back in 1990, I was the first full-time sports psychologist with the Kansas City Royals, and got to know Bo Jackson, George Brett, Tom Gordon, Willie Wilson, Frank White, Mark Grubbs—all these great players. And we we talked about this. Tom Gordon uh, has been on my show many times with me. Tom worked with me his whole career. He had at the time the major league record for fifty four saves in a row, and but number fifty five blew out his elbow to have Tommy John surgery. So, you know, he, he, he even said to me, you know, some people said, "How could you? How could? How come you didn't get fifty five? Well, my elbow blew out. Well, what was wrong? Well, you know, it happens. Well, he came back from that and pitched another ten, almost ten more years, and was very successful at it. And the whole key thing with any sport is. You're going to make a mistake. And so I think teaching kids at young ages not to be scared of that or afraid of that, but to accept it, you know, not, not it doesn't mean you have to like it, but to understand it's part of what's going on. And I, I think there are some, and, and I get this with a lot of athletes I see, Michael, I, I, I get from some of them that if they make a mistake, their coaches get, it. part of the problem I think with this is, is coaches' reactions to young kids and parents' reactions as well. But let's focus on coaches for a minute. When, when an athlete makes a mistake or screws up, then the coach will get upset or scowl or kick the dirt or throw something or whatever. And then, what, what's the effect on that young person?
1: Yeah, it's a great point. Coaches and parents, um, especially coaches, um, need to model um, outward behaviors. So that you know, kids are like sponges; they pick up on everything. And so, even if the coach, uh, you know, has a good talk, good sportsmanship. Hey, let's go out and have some fun today. And you know, he talks a good game, but during the game, gets upset, you know, maybe yells uh, at the ump or something like that. The kids are going to notice all of that. So coaches need to be really cognizant of their, their outward behavior and the things they're saying you know, in, in the heat of the moment.
0: Yelling, okay. Um, let, let, let's hit on that for a minute because I get so many people who will say stuff to me about, coaches yelling at their kids or yelling you know a, a young person will say well i'm afraid of my coach yelling at me because i screwed up i mean it's one thing if you're on the soccer field and you're way across the field you got to yell something to them that's not what we're talking about i'm talking about yelling at someone when they make a mistake because a lot of young kids then take that the wrong way don't they
1: yeah absolutely the just the, the tone is, is hugely important especially for kids if there's like an aggressive tone to your voice now it doesn't mean you can can't have like a, you know, a psych, a pep talk or something like that. But that angry tone, um, especially for the, the younger kids, is going to be perceived as, you know, you're mad at me or something like that. So really tone is, is really important for coaches.
0: You know, I always say a good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach needs a sports psychologist. And so much of the, the impact that coaches' behavior has on y- young kids lays the groundwork for, for how they handle success and failure down the road. And so for me, I think one of the key things that, that you mentioned earlier, coaches should have some sports psychology training. I, of course, I've talked about that forever. I agree with you 100%. What do you think the benefit of that could be for a lot, of, especially for young coaches with young kids?
1: I think the benefit is, um, well, two ways. It helps the coach a lot deal with their own stuff. So the coach might realize that, wow, I'm transferring all of my frustrations onto my kids you know, projecting that onto them so that really self-awareness for the coach, that helps and, of course, the benefit to all their players is you're going to get a much more grounded coach who's really aware of, say, the the coach's own triggers because coaches get triggered by stuff too, right? So that the coach can, you know, understand how to modulate his reactions uh, to anything, any frustration that's going on as well.
0: I'd love to hear from you if you're a parent or a coach. We'd love to hear from you, Michael. And I would love to talk to you about it. If you if you have a athlete on your team who struggles with this whole perfection thing, when they screw up, they make a mistake, they slam their glove, they kick the dirt, they sulk, they get down in the dumps. As a parent or a coach, how do you handle it? I know, you know, when you you go out to play a game, you want to. The goal is to win, right? Or should it be to go have fun, enjoy the experience, and if you win or lose, so be it. What should the goal for young kids be, you think, in terms of playing sports? I, I don't think winning and losing should should be avoided. I think you need to deal with it. But what should be the goal for a lot of young kids when they start playing sports?
1: Yeah, it really depends on the age. I think you were talking about earlier, you know, like the, the younger the kids are, the more emphasis should be on, on fun. Um, and then when you get into the, the teenage years, you can kind of up the ante, you get a little more competitive. But, yeah, you know, like – Tee um, Wee League and baseball, or you know, t ball stuff like that it needs to be really it's almost hundred percent fun. Then you can kind of, you know, mix it up. I think and get a little more competitive later.
0: So, what do you think we have to do to change the culture in youth sports? Because I, my concern, and and I want to get your op- opinion on this. Youth sports has become such a huge business now. It's it's all about the money, and you're getting leagues being formed for five year olds, which to me, I don't, I just don't think is right i i just don't get it why do you need to have leagues for kids i think it should be training and fun experiences but the money is 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 really ruling the roost here and i think that's where everything goes because if there's you know you can get an organized league then someone's making money on it so what do you think we can do as therapists when we work with kids to help them out with this type of situation
1: Yeah, that's a a tough one because, you know, the primary influence on these kids is the the coaches and, say, like the league that they're in, uh, parents. So as as therapists, we're coming in as this voice is is not always uh, chiming in all the time. Um, But I I, I think it's a lot of, depending on how young the athlete is, I'm a big fan of cognitive behavioral therapy, getting the, the kid to talk about their own beliefs about winning and losing. And then, and then talking that out. Again, looking for language such as always and never, so this real extreme kind of talk, um, I think is, can be one of the most powerful things. And, and challenging kids, like you always lose, you, you know, never get a hit, that kind of stuff. Just um, getting into, into a dialogue about their belief systems.
0: One of my co-authors of my book, Jeff Montgomery, who's the Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame closer, has most of the most saves in Royals history, over 300. One of the reasons I, I had Jeff participate in, in, in the book that we wrote was I got to know him when I was the Royals psychologist back in 1990, and I loved his attitude. But I also watched him coach my older son, Jonathan. And one of the things Jeff did that I really admired in his coaching was when kids would screw up, he didn't get angry at them. If somebody was misbehaving, that was different. But if if kids screwed up and they were upset, he'd pull them aside. Look, we're going to work on this in practice. Don't worry about it. Just keep playing. Just keep having a good time, doing your thing. And he didn't focus on the emotional part of that in in the game. He just talked about the experience. And afterwards, at practice, they'd work on why they struck out or why they made a mistake in the field. And he wouldn't yell or scream at them. He was very even-keeled about that. And I think that's the way a lot of coaches can really help kids because I know the kids really enjoyed playing on that team. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest is Michael Seeley, psychotherapist in Naples, Florida. We're talking about perfectionism, winning and losing in sports. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
2: This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt.
3: Our topic today, black homeownership, or should I say the abysmally low level of black homeownership in the United States today. Here we are in 2021 and black homeowners have not recovered from the foreclosure crisis of 2008. A white high school dropout is more likely to own a home than a black college graduate. It's a dispiriting conversation. This notion of racism and resistance to black homeownership is so baked into the system. Uh, At least that's my takeaway.
2: For more, watch State of Play TV Saturdays and Sundays at noon 11 central on the Black News Channel or go to State of Play TV on YouTube.
10: A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council.
9: If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov/plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. But I know about courage. I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just got to hold on and know we'll get through this.
8: Mom, we are so high up.
9: Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs>
10: Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
2: This is the Sports Psychology Hour.
0: Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. And joining me today is psychotherapist Michael Seely from Naples, Florida. We're talking about youth sports, perfectionism, winning and losing, coaching, parenting kids. So, Michael, what do we do to help kids get through this? As a therapist, when you have a young person come into your office and they've got an issue with their emotions about failing or succeeding on the athletic field, how do you handle that? What do you do with them?
1: Well, you know, I, I typically I, I realize that they're they're getting those kinds of attitudes from somewhere, right? And so I'll, I'll have a theory um, that it's either the coach or one of the parents that's putting some pressure on. And honestly, it's just about 90% of the time that is, that's the case. Um, and so I will ask you know, questions to the, the youth athlete. What, what does your coach say about this or what does your parents say about that? And if I'm right about my theory... They're getting this from a parent or coach. The, the kid will realize that, oh, there's, there's a, maybe an issue there, and it's not you know, it's not all me. Um, that's typically what I look for.
0: How do, you, actually, how do you get them to become aware of that, though? Because I think that's one of the key things. I had a, a young lady I worked with a couple of years ago. She was a softball player. Now she's playing volleyball. And she was in last week uh, with her mom. I hadn't seen her in a while. And she's now, like I said, she's now a high school sophomore. But she saw me when she was in eighth grade playing softball. And she had a coach who ruined softball for I mean, literally ruined it for her. And unfortunately, she started seeing me after it was too late. Because this guy, what happened was, and the parents are great people. Their, their, their whole goal with their kids is have fun, enjoy things, and, and get better at what you're doing. And learn about how to deal with negativity. But this coach what precipitated bringing her in to see me was she was playing first base and she got a double her first at bat. She got a double her second at bat. Then in the next inning on defense, the inf- one of the infielders threw the ball to her and it went through her glove for an error and the, the runner got to second. Well, the coach kicked the bucket he was sitting on, knocked the bats off the bat rack, the helmets off the bat rack, and he took her out of the game. Sat at the end of the bench and glared at her. And that was the end of her, her playing that game, and then she was devastated, and came in. And we worked on this, and I told the parents, "You need to sit down and talk with with this guy. Explain. Look, uh, when you do this type of behavior, that's not good." Well, you know, they did talk to him, but his response was, "Oh, well, they have to learn how to win." And of course, what they ended up doing was, she ended up quitting that team, and she quit quit softball after that. So, what would you do in that situation if if they came in and saw you? What would you say to them?
1: Well, I'd probably say the same thing that you did you know that someone needs to talk to this coach. and you know, it really it comes down to really leadership in youth sports is that the, we have this huge responsibility as coaches, parents, psychologists you know, to really show and model good, you know, good effort and the value of the value of effort and the value of sportsmanship. So yeah, I would have done the same thing as you that someone needs to talk to this coach.
0: So here's the, here's the key thing with that. Because as you're as you're responding, I'm thinking, okay, we're, we both agree on that. But for a lot of people, well, when do I talk to the coach? How do I talk to the coach? What do I say to him? And wh- what would you do? Because I'll share what I, w- what I suggest later. But what, w- what would you do?
1: Sure. Yeah, um, I, I work a lot with uh, high school-age athletes. And depending on the maturity of the athlete I'm talking to, I, I first encourage that they reach out to the coach or talk to the coach themselves. As opposed to say going through a parent or going through a high school administrator, um, that can be a great um, learning experience for the kid to not necessarily confront the coach, but voice their their concerns and then take that step by step. Let
0: because me so let me way. let me ask, interject really quick. What age or about maturity level wise do you feel it's up to the athlete to maybe do the initial conversation rather than the parent?
1: Yeah, typically I've seen like fifteen. You know, 15, 16 is almost a cutoff age, something like
0: that. Right. I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. Okay. Okay. So then ask them to talk to the coach, and what do you suggest they say to him? And how do they say it?
1: Right, right. So I really listen to the kid first, like what does the kid want? Is there some sense of injustice going on in the team, favorites, and things like that? Listen to their story. And I just ask them, you know, what do you want to do? And the kid will usually come up with, well, you know, I want to tell them well, my coach, it's not fair that I got benched or something like that. Say, okay, well, let's role play it. So we'll actually do a role play. And that can be really powerful because they, they actually experience it beforehand. And then we take it step by step. So, well, and What happens if your coach doesn't respond the way you want? Well, I don't know. Okay, well, let's talk about that. And we'll role play the whole thing up to, you know, the nth degree of maybe even going to, you know, a high school administrator or talking to your, your own parent about it. So that will alleviate a lot of the anxiety about um, it might be going up again.
0: When, when is the point when a parent should get involved with with a 14-, 15-, 16-year-old?
1: That's a tough one because you want to really encourage the agency in, in the kid of speaking up and not having the parent come in to rescue them. Um, I think it comes when the coach is, say, not responding to uh, the kid's requests or concerns or if there's something kind of more egregious going on, right, a coach who really has really had a problem with their temper or, or you know, playing favorites. Um, so it depends on the severity of the coach's behavior and then also um, how much you're trying to encourage the kids to, to really, um, you know, out for themselves.
0: Okay, so along those lines, where's the point where you say, we need to remove my child from this team? I mean, I, 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 excuse me in, in, before you answer that, I, I don't encourage quitting at all. Sticking it out, except to me, when it gets to being verbally or physically abusive obviously but but what yeah. would you say?
1: Um, I think it does depend on the age too of the kid, so you know the younger kids obviously you know below age ten eleven twelve uh, removing them would be maybe a, a good thing if there's a really a, really a terrible coach because you're going to be reducing that exposure to trauma honestly but then but bad. then how
0: do you, but then, how do you deal with the question of well you're quitting
1: hmm. Yeah, that is, it depends on how you describe what that intervention is. Um, not that you are quitting, but um, maybe we're going to join a different team or or something like that. I mean, that, that's a tough conversation, especially with a young young kid, of what that action actually means.
0: Yeah, I I think it comes down to this, in essence, when there is any type of physical or verbal abuse. Obviously, physical abuse is obviously to see. Verbal abuse is harder to pick up sometimes. But when that when that goes on, if you have a coach being abusive to your child, you say something to the coach about it, and he conti- he or she continues, then that's where I think you say, okay, th- th- we have to we have to remove ourselves from the situation because I think the negativity that comes from that outweighs the the gains of that situation.
1: Yeah, that and um, you know escalating it too. So coaches are accountable; they belong to leagues. So if there's something really bad going on. Um, you can escalate it, bring it up to you know, the league level, even beyond that, and um, get a better coach in there. You, as a parent, you have a, a right to do that.
0: So, you know, Michael, as we wrap things up today, and it's been great having you on again, I really enjoy our conversations because you, you, you get it. I've had many people on this show over the years, and you obviously get it as well as anyone does pertaining to this type of issue. I mean, youth sports to me is great. I, I love, I mean, anyone who's listened to me for, for the 30 years I've been on the radio, knows I, this is a sports psychology show. It's about sports. It's about psychology. I love sports. I love psychology. But I, I love helping people. That's why I do what I do, and I'm sure that's why you do what you do. And, and the key thing here is emotions are part of sport. Emotions are part of life. When it comes to sports, though, with, with young kids, the, the whole key thing is is I think it comes down to communication. And it's about if there's a problem, if there's an issue, if there's a loss, if there's a failure, talk about it. Learn from it. Grow from it. Don't be scared of it. Don't run away from it. Don't get angry about it. Teach kids that it's, it's part of what goes on. And if they learn to handle that, to embrace it, I think it's going to make them stronger as they move along.
1: I, I 100% agree. You know, sports in its best sense can teach uh, young athletes how to handle the adversities of life. And if you do it the right way, you know, about sportsmanship and growth and all the positive aspects of it, then that's going to really prepare them for life. If you're going on the negative that failure is a bad thing, um, that's unacceptable. Then you're training the kids in the wrong way.
0: So. Yeah, and I, you know, it, it's every team starts the season with the goal we want to win our games. We want to do all this, but really, I think for youth sports and and quite frankly, the the pro athletes I work with, I just had like I said an NFL player in my office the other day. Our goal for him is to, to focus on his effort, his execution and have fun and do the best you can. Michael, I want to thank you for joining us today. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you?
1: Yeah, so you can just go to um, Sealy Sports, that's dot sports.com, and you can find out more about me there.
0: Well, I want to thank you again for joining us. You'll be on again. Great comments, great great, uh, points you brought up here today, and enjoy the weather down in Florida and stay safe, and thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm here every week talking about the mental side of sports. Hope you enjoy the show. Our, our shows are podcasted everywhere. Just just go on your favorite podcast app and you'll find it, the Dr. Andrew Jacobs Sports Psychology Hour. If you want to get a hold of me, you can always reach me at my office, 816-561-5556. Send me an email at drj@winnersunlimited.com. At Follow me on Twitter at, at DRJ sports psych. Have a great week. Stay safe. Take care.
2: This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And now, State of Play with former Washington, D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt.
3: And our topic today, the technology gap, especially for communities of color, whether it's jobs, businesses, or the adverse impact in getting credit or uh, in the criminal justice system.
9: These um, automated decision systems have to be taught how to make decisions. They don't just grow on trees. And so the question is, is how do we teach them? We teach them by feeding past data, past human decisions, whether it's who gets loans, who gets paroled, um, you know, who gets the job. So we take that historic data and we train these systems how to make future predictions and decisions. It's almost as if technology is sort of uh, trailing alongside systemic inequality.
2: For more. Watch State of Play TV, Saturdays and Sundays at noon, 11 central on the Black News Channel, or go to State of Play TV on YouTube.
9: If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
5: America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right, by replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
7: One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. You your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org.
8: Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner, Carol, or my karaoke enemy, Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org.
7: Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Prediabetes Awareness Partners.